Welcome back to the Skits and Giggles podcast. I am Pascal. I'm joined by my co-host Bryson. How's it going today, buddy? Oh, it's great, Pascal. How do you do, Skigglers? Back for another one. Well, I mean, I've spent quite a bit of time with our guest Jarno Hoagland uh, during Trans Madeira. Uh, long transfers, a lot of rain, but plenty of time to chat. Um, you know, I want to. I don't want to give too much away. But Bryson, what were your highlights? Um, you know, basically the feeling is, um, yeah, I'm in, I'm inspired by our conversation with with Yarno. It's uh, it's good to know that there's some good people out there uh, caring about the environment, caring about our sport, and yeah, I'm really happy to have him presented on the podcast. All right, yes, today's conversation we covered a lot of ground. We talked about his work for the IMB, the International Mountain Bike Magazine. We talked about his new venture, the Trail Taxi. We talked about his move to Switzerland, his love for the Valais region, and a lot of other things. But before we get into that, let's just say a few words about where you guys can find more information about the Skits and Giggles podcast. We're currently most active on our Instagram, and you can skid right into our DMs and follow along at Skits and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skitsandgiggles.com. Also, if you guys like what we're doing and want to know what's up, just give us a follow on Spotify. Hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to great podcasts. Finally, sharing episodes you enjoy with your writing buddies really helps us grow our show and reach more cool people like you. With that all out of the way, let's get back to Yarno. We really hope you enjoyed this one as much as we liked recording it. Talk to you after the show. Tonight we sit down with uh, Jarno Hoagland. Jarno, welcome to the Skits and Giggles podcast. How is it going tonight? Uh, good evening. Uh, yeah, it's good. Fantastic. We uh, had a good weekend of riding bikes and uh, we went for camping actually with the camper van last night. So fully relaxed and ready to do this podcast thing awesome bryson how are you doing swell um also managed to get a bike ride in how about you pascal well big weekend of riding obviously i've been a couple of weeks out from from uh, falling off or dislocating my shoulder and then falling off uh, in trans madeira we get back to that later uh, but things are on the up and up so i've managed to get two rides in spent the whole day in the bike park yesterday with the kids so all good Speaking of Transmadeira, the last time Jarno and I spoke extensively um, was uh, on day one of Transmadeira, and we were going up a terrible climb in the pissing rain, pardon my French. So we thought it was worthwhile to have another chat, um, maybe with, uh, with Bryson uh, tagging along for that as well. So Jarno, how has it been going since then? How did uh, Transmadeira end for you? Oh, a bit better than for you, <laughs> although that's not uh, it's not very difficult dislocating your shoulder. Um, no, it was great. Um, weather dried out a bit. Um, finally, picked up a bit of speed on those time stages as well in the, on the final day, actually. <laughs> um, and yeah, had a, had an amazing time. Um, everything that everybody says about the island is is true. Um, superb riding, uh, great food, great people. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was sad to see you on uh, what was it end of day two, uh, yeah. heading off to that hotel. But uh, leave leave something for you for next time when you go. 
Exactly. That's that's the plan anyway. So I just need to convince my better half. <laughs> All right. Well, I um, you know, to get this conversation going, I want to, you know, paint the picture, you know, set the stage a little bit. So you know, talk about you um we talk about your work. So we we have if I look at your resume right now, I look at uh, the IMB, so Mountain Bike Magazine. I look at Trail Taxi, a new venture that's coming up. I look at a, a Dutch guy living in Switzerland. Mountain biking brings all of this together. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about how you got here? How, how, how does this all happen? Maybe start with how do you even get to the IMB? Um, well... IMB has been, um, I've been the editor of the, the online mountain bike magazine for the past two years. Um, I have done that uh, basically on the same period when I moved to Switzerland. I've always been in the Alps for uh, quite a, a good number of years. Holland is a fantastic country, um, but not if you like mountain biking. <laughs> so quite, quite early on, I already moved away. I spent a couple of years in Austria, moved to, uh, to Switzerland, actually, to the Geneva region for a good couple of years. Um, and yeah, ever since an early age, I've been involved in either BMX racing or mountain bike racing. So I raced BMX from 85 till 95. And then in the good old year of 1996, um, I tried my best of luck as a downhill rider, uh, which, you know, amongst all the cross country uh, guys uh, with my BMX background, it was, it was quite easy to, to snatch some podiums. Um, and, you know, the, then when careers come along, um, you got two options, either just to work a proper job and earn enough money to, uh, to buy all your kit, or you dive into the industry uh, and you get your, work uh, um, related to the industry and, uh, and get some discounts along the way. So I, I chose the path number two. Um, <laughs> the, classic, uh, the classic bike shops, um, then to working for a distributor, um, uh, worked for Kona Bicycles for a couple of years as their warranty and um, customer service manager, manager guy. Um, And then, uh, yeah, you know, once you're in the in the hold of the bike industry, the the the, the stranglehold you you won't get uh, you, they won't let you go. So, uh, so yeah, um, eventually I, I found myself uh, having a chat with Rue, uh, the owner of Next Elements, who's the publisher of I Am Bike Mag, and uh, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I can create a magazine. Um, the the place where we create the magazine doesn't matter so much so why not just move to single track paradise uh, the Valais, switzerland and uh yeah so so said so done oh and, nice uh, yeah that's the, the the story in a nutshell all right well let's uh let's talk a little bit more about uh, imb because uh i think it's uh, quite uh, quite unique in in the media landscape so can you describe a little bit what, uh, how the magazine works and, and you know, what, you're, what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, so IMB is um, a free magazine. It's free to read, free to subscribe. Um, and we even uh, do a prize draw amongst our subscribers every two months. 
Um, so yeah, just subscribe. Your name goes in a hat, and we uh, we hand out uh, what is it a W two B set of tires and tubeless setup or uh, a pump or something cool. Um, and it's online only. So we've got um, the website, which obviously posts all the news that we uh, that we share with. Um, uh, with our readers, uh, all of that stuff is linked to Facebook as well. So we got a pretty big Facebook page uh, where you can see the news articles, and then there is uh, the magazine itself, which is a full-fledged magazine with um, three, four big features, interviews. Um, last month we did a, a big interview with Nico Vink. Um, we had a cool story about this dude from Revelstoke who uh, basically got an old Mustang. And he raised the suspension, put huge wheels on it, and turned the whole thing into this crazy off-road Mustang, the Mustang mobile. Um, so yeah, we try and then we try to to mix things up. Um, we do a bunch of uh, product testing, of course, and then we've got some regulars like uh, a technique section. Um, we've got a thing called Getting Dialed, where we just really, you know, uh, take a good look on uh, what would the best things be to put in your first aid kit or um, what's the best way to get traction or, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and yeah, that's, uh, that you can read on the website, of course, but there's also a free uh, iOS and an Android app that you can download and you can kind of, you know, scroll through it in a more, um, in a more uh, easy to read uh, PDF style um, application. Oh, sweet. And, uh, you know, when I hear online, then, of course, there's like two, two types of online magazines, right? So there's obviously the ones that take a traditional pen and paper kind of magazine, let's say, and just make that into a PDF and upload it somewhere on, uh, on, a, on a server and then tell people to go there and read it. And then there's the other ones that obviously make use of digital media um interruptibility of, of like different content formats so let's say simple things embedding a live video in a pdf or you know in a scrolling um a scrolling feed etc are you are you how are you using those technologies in your in your magazine um well of course video is a, is is one whole uh production thing by itself that we would love to incorporate more um but if you've ever made video you know how incredible amounts of time effort equipment uh, video actually takes um so for the moment uh, we just offer our advertisers to incorporate video in their ads which makes the ads a lot cooler especially with the cool edits are coming out these days um so the ad doesn't feel like an ad you know it's it's more of an entertainment side of thing um and then our technique series are also linked uh so you can read the technique article written or you can click um and then watch the video which is uh, shared on the youtube platform um there are plans to expand um video towards bike tests and product tests and maybe even for some of the features that we are like the travel features the trail guides uh, but at the moment, uh, the, the, the biking landscape is a bit of a funny one uh, in, the, in the bike industry with lots of brands being sold out, um, delivery times being, you know, absolutely crazy. Um, so for us to now just jump in and heavily invest in the, in the video branch is just not the moment. 
okay. but it is on the horizon. This is something we really like to do. Oh, for sure. Well, I guess, you know, you know, this, this whole, let's say social media space, you know, whatever you call it, it's like YouTube's with vlogs or edits. Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, normal Joes like Bryson and I that create content, right? So there's a whole universe of creators that, uh, that create kind of, let's say, amateur or semi-professional content and you need to compete as a professional you obviously need to compete against those um but i mean an interesting question obviously you mentioned it the you know the cost side of things right the production cost and you know for certainly for video and obviously other content as well um how are you funding this whole um this whole magazine i assume it's through advertising or yeah, so um, we've got two ways that we do uh, two two streams of income. Um, one is although it's free to subscribe, um, we we do have a page where you can see uh, you, you can sign up as a, uh, as a supporter of the magazine, and you can choose. I think it's from two pounds, five pounds, and a tenner a month. Uh, you can start and stop every time. And um, at any time, and one of the things that you uh, that it also gives you as an extra bonus. So I mentioned that we do the prize draw every two months. Now, if you're a contributor of the magazine, um, we double, triple, or quadruple your name in the hat for the prize draw. So if you support us, the chance of you winning something is, you know, it multiplies. Um, so that is one side, just really a. a, a voluntarily based um, reader support uh, and then of course there's the uh, the brand advertisers that that support us um, some of them are full page like advertisements um, there's other brands that are not even interested in a classical advertisement they just want you know uh, coverage in another way or um, have their team writers mentioned and interviewed or stuff like that um, so there, those are the two, two main income streams that we, that we have at the moment and, uh, it's working pretty well, I must say. So IMB international, it's an international outfit. You guys, um, it being international, it's, it's, it implies you're covering many nations or, or many different places where you can ride mountain bikes. So the question that comes to mind is how do you determine your identity and how do you display that in the magazine? How has it come across? How do you make that come across? Um, well, basically, the identity of the magazine, um, we, we, it, the term international is really just aiming at the English-speaking markets. Um, and we try to get uh, interesting topics and interviews with writers and places uh, from all over the globe. So either it be uh, Nico Vink, who is well, a Belgian based in technically his van, nobody knows where he lives, um, or, or Sam Blankensop from, from New Zealand. Or, so we really try to get that as an international um, crowd. And also when it comes to spot checks, um, we do have spot checks in Switzerland, but we also go to, uh, where do we have one, the Yukon, um, Revelstoke, uh, different other parts of the world. Um, so that's the, the, the main way where we try to keep things uh, international. Um, and as for um, the type of riding, um, I would say it's a more, the, the, the person that reads IMB is more of a person who doesn't care too much about competition. He likes watching riders, like racers, um, 
and, and to, to know what's going on uh, behind the scenes, but is not necessarily a competitive cyclist himself. He just, you know, pedals up to go down and uh, wants to have as much fun as possible and likes to stay up to date on on good kits and, and, and some smart trick tips and tricks on, on keeping, uh, keeping the bike going and um, being well, well prepared for any adventure that comes on his path. I think that's a great demographic to serve. Uh, speaking of um, contributors, do you have uh, people local in Switzerland who are um, um, repeatedly, repeated, repeatedly, repeatedly contributing to the magazine? As I'm based in Switzerland, uh, it mainly is me and uh, two or three other people that we do that we create the content with. Um, we do have people in France, in Spain, um, in Canada, and in the U.S. that contribute to the magazine. Um, again, this is uh, uh, this is a situation right now which is quite difficult because um, a lot of the people that create good media um, try to sell this to as many news, many outlets as possible. And we really want to keep 100% unique content. So um, sometimes it is a bit of a struggle to get more content from different parts of the world, um, mainly because we're like, hey, you know, we, we would love to run the story but I don't want it to appear on five different outlets. So, um, but yeah, we do have uh, numerous, uh, numerous um, contributors spread out through the globe and uh, trying to uh, help us create a cool mag. That's excellent. I guess in the reader statistics, I had a look on the website, of course, I flicked through a couple of your issues. Um, you you do mention that you you have like a truly global readership, right? It's not a very... It's not like Ride magazine in Switzerland, which is, you know, pretty much exclusively focused on Switzerland. You mentioned a number of, correct me if I'm wrong, what is it, 150 countries that you're being read from or read in. Yeah. So that's, that is obviously talking to your, your, let's say, global setup. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, you, the, the majority is English-speaking countries. So you got like 20, 25% um, USA. Or, or North America, and then another 20, 25% uh, UK, and then it starts breaking down to smaller percentages um, throughout Europe. But we also have readers in Brazil, um, Indonesia, uh, you name it. Uh, you know, every country where you're like, is there mountain biking there? And then we've got some readers there as well, so that's pretty cool. Speaking again of creation... I, I've had my hand at a little bit of uh, social media marketing and uh, kind of content creation, putting it out there and trying to be fresh and stay kind of relevant and uh, engaging with people, like trying to get them to, you know, like and subscribe and things like this. But I found it very, very difficult. Like I'm not a professional at it, but, um, you know, I kind of tried to emulate what I saw. Um, but it led me to the question that to myself and now I'm asking you because maybe you can give me a tip in case I end up doing it again. But uh, how do you stay fresh with the content? How do you how do you feel that your creativity comes out enough for people to like really engage and keep keep reading? Basically, I think the only thing that really speaks across any type of media is just be genuine. You know, um, I genuinely love mountain biking, and the people that work at IMB 
love riding bikes. They would do whatever they were doing, even if they were not with IMB. Um, so whatever we create, we, we create from um, a genuine interest. You know, if we create a, a, an article or, or a travel story or, you know, to, to look at a piece of technology, um, we create this from a genuine point of trying to make people a better rider or trying to have make people enjoy riding more. Um, and um, so, yeah, just, just being genuine in, in what you create, you know, just create stuff for yourself. And then there's a big chance a bunch of people like it. Yeah, I guess, you know, people really latch on when they can find the how, how they can relate to it. And they can say, okay, you know, this is something I can dig yeah. into uh, again and again, really. It's a great tip. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, for sure. What uh, what are some of the more interesting aspects of your work that you've had over the last uh, you know, two years that you've been in Deceit? What have been some of the highlights so far? Well, of course, where we met, uh, being able to uh, enter the Trans Madeira and, and, and call it work is <laughs> just like a ridiculous thing. Um, ridiculous so, excuse. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, I've got to go there, definitely. Oh, such hard work. Um but uh, so, yeah, this is, of course, you know, one of the nicer things of the job, just being able to to uh, enter in some really cool um, uh, events. Uh, I did a Swiss Enduro series last year also to cover cover it for the uh, for the magazine. Um, and the last two years have not been that big on press releases and press camps. Um I'm a bit mixed emotions regarding press camps. Um, I know the budgets that are being spent on it. And uh, it's great as an introduction for a, a product. Um, but for really testing a product, I don't think it's the right place and time. Uh, it's usually what happens on a press camp. You get a bunch of free drinks and loads of food and you get to ride the bike on the, on a trail with a bunch of other people. Not, no time for setup, no time for you know really tinkering and adjusting and doing just laps on the on the stopwatch or whatever. Um, so, uh, but yeah, they're, they're always a good treat. And, um, there's always the, 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 the trade shows and stuff like that, which are, are great fun. Uh, you know, the bike industry, if you, if you've been in it long enough, you know, you know, so many people. And so you just go to a Eurobike or a, or a Garda bike fest or a, or a sea otter or something. And, you know, you just run into people like, Hey dude, how are you doing? Uh, long time no see, uh, How's the wife? How's the kids? You've been riding. My God, you got fat. You know that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it's it's you know the the industry itself is just you know it's there are very little people in the bike industry that don't like riding bikes. You know, so whenever you meet anyone, there's always at least one connection that you have with them, and um, so that's that's something that makes the the industry um, a really fun and interesting one to work with. Um, yeah, some of the other stuff. Of uh, of course, it is quite cool to have new products being released, and you're the first one to know. You know, you get that email embargo. <laughs> you're like, oh, what's that then? And uh, you get all the pictures and all the and all the specs and details of all the brand new. I don't know the Santa Cruz or new brand being launched by BMC or or, or Canada coming out with with the new uh, with the new enduro machine. Um, so you're right, right at the tip of all the news and all the details and, you know, um, 
new forks being launched and you sit there with the engineers and the product managers of Olin's and you can just shoot away any question you might have and you get like, you know, from the man who actually made the drawing to make the thing work, you get the answer. So I think that's pretty special. Um, but yeah, you know, any, in the end, uh, any job is a job. So uh, it looks super glamorous in talking about, oh, I'm going to Madeira. But yeah, that's just an exception. You know, most of the time for the magazine, I'm just set on this bouncy yoga ball instead of an office chair. Otherwise, my back gives in. Um, so I'm working from home and then just typing away for 12 hours. So, uh, but I got to love that part. Exactly. But I guess, you know, as you say, right, so with the time, there comes also a certain routine and I'm sure there's a certain cynicism about the certain products and there's like, oh, yay, another Enduro fork. And let me guess, it's got bigger stanchions and it's got, wow, revised stamping. My gosh. Um, so I guess it's, it's kind of hard in those situations to keep the excitement high. But um, I have one one uh, interesting question or like final question from my side on, on, on the IMB stuff is um, uh, inspired by another podcast I just listened to on the way home is um, have there been, uh, what kind of were some of the surprises of, of products you reviewed or trips you've gone on where you had, a, you know, you had in your mind, you had this vision of, oh, this is going to be so amazing. This is going to feel so great. And, and then it turns out, no, it actually, it really wasn't. Is there any good examples that come to mind? Well, like I said, you know, it's been quite dry on, on, on press trips during the whole COVID situation. Um, so I, 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 I don't have anything to moan about regarding that. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, most products these days are so well built. It's very rare that you, it's not that you get like a test bike and you crack the frame on, on the third run or something like that. Unless you're Paul Aston, of course. Yeah, unless you're Paul Aston. But I, I know Paul quite well. He's, he's a good guy. And um, I, I see the point that he's making. Um, if you, the thing is, not, not every, almost nobody rides like Paul Aston. And if you do ride like Paul Aston, you're probably a racer and then you've got a mechanic. So the way he tests and judges bikes, I completely get it. He knows a lot a lot of knowledge about setup, suspension, um, and on the longevity of some products. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I truly think the weight is being considered way too much uh, in terms of, uh, you know, everybody, every in the catalog, everybody shows the weight, and, but it's with shit tires uh, that, you know, does, that doesn't work. So I think we should just, Forget about weight. Most of the clients that buy or ride these bikes are slightly overweight anyway. You know, just stop eating cookies and, and uh, then you'll save that kilo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or not, or don't stop eating cookies. Yeah. And you were in one of the issue number, I think it was issue number 69, I did a whole calculation about how much 1.5 kilograms of um, bike weight makes a difference on a 10K climb. On a, on a similar gradient, there's there's a bunch of weight weaning roadie websites where you can make that uh, that calculation, and I believe it was under a minute. It was like fifty one minutes of climbing on 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 one bike, and if you saved uh, one point five kilos, it was like fifty minutes and twenty seconds or something. It was just nobody no. fucking cares. Yeah, not worth so, talking about. 
Yeah. So I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but um, so yeah, I, I do think that some stuff should be built stronger um, and with more durability in mind. Uh, you know, like four or five millimeter bolts. Why? Just go six. You know, just make it make it last. Um, two millimeter Allen key bolts that should be banned. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> you know all the stuff that you round, like the the T twenty five torxies on on your discs. I mean, it still beats center lock, but because in the end, the center locks sometimes do get loose, and who on hell on brings a center lock tool in his backpack on a bike ride? <laughs> you know, so those kind of like um, those are definitely some some uh, improvements that products can make can be made. And I think Paul's got a really good point in, um, I think he did a video on the Norco, um, on some very proprietary bolts and uh, spec issues, which it goes exactly like he says, you know, um, high-end bike is tested with high-end components. They sit in front of an Excel sheet. This bike needs to be two and a half grand. Okay, we'll spec this, this, this. And I'm sure that this, the current you know, uh, situation in the bike industry is, is challenging enough. You know, if, if you dare in charge of production um you can't get chain ring a uh, let's get chain ring b yeah let's go 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 because we've got three thousand orders waiting to be shipped um but yeah you know if you spend four grand on the bike some stuff you know like some spec errors like that should not happen and also um, i still see this a lot as well because we're a global magazine there's a lot of division still in countries so, oh, you deal with the Swiss distributor or the French distributor, or I think this is so uh, really backward. You know, all the all the bolts and proprietary parts just should be available from straight from the horse's mouth, straight from the website where you go click, click spares, model year, model number, boom. Here's your exploded view drawings. Oh, you're missing bolt number three five two seven three, and all the washers will send you this bolt we're not going to sell you a bolt kit and bearing kit for 200 francs or 200 bucks no just you know but these these kind of things um this is something i I think there's there's going to be a brand at some point that's going to really jump into this um to build more as you see it already um you got like um well the nikolai is is a famous brand for building uh, rather agricultural um, machines, but they last. Robust is the word. Oh, robust. Yeah. Robust. Not ag- no, but, you know, they're, they're the egg you know, they're, they're from, from Germany and uh, they make their stuff to last. So, so I think this, this is quite an interesting um, note to have. Uh, I think the bikes are, are not bad, uh, but in terms of, um, I, I think also that the, the industry itself and also the media is, is looking so much at professional racing that they just have a complete blind side towards the weekend warrior that takes his bike out twice a week. And then on the Sunday, he comes home too late. Um, the kids are already like, Dad, why are you late? And doesn't have time to clean the bike doesn't have time to do anything and then the bike just sits there crying in the corner until it gets picked out again on the wednesday night ride without any bolt check without any lube or whatever um and 
yeah, this this type of usage um, is not going to fly with a ultra light, super lightweight carbon everything wheel set that's ooh full suspension for nine point three kilos. You know, <laughs> that's uh, but the whole market and the whole media and the whole marketing industry is really aiming towards people being you know shooter and and um, selling the dream not yeah. selling product it's, yeah exactly so uh yeah if any brand is listening out there uh you know make make the bike that doesn't die you know make the bike that you can abuse <laughs> and uh, I'm, i'm sure you're going to sell a bunch of them oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure um i'm yeah i'm It's definitely a journey we we are all on, especially if you've been around uh, mountain bikes for some time. And I admit to being partially guilty as charged with the uh, neglecting uh, neglecting bikes after rides and then taking them out again. Maybe adding a little. I do. I'm a religious uh, chain luber, so that uh, that I take care of. But apart from that, um, I'm not very good with <laughs> with with the maintenance. I must admit. Well, then I would like to change tack a little bit. Uh, we've talked about you moved to Switzerland. We talked about your love for single trail paradise. We heard from the trail taxi, but we haven't really talked about it yet. So I have, I kind of have a vision in my mind if I, if I hear trail taxi, but can you fill in the blanks? What does it actually do? Well, um, the trail taxi is basically a product that I've, I wished for myself. I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot here because you know, if somebody calls a trails taxi, then then it's it's me who's going out for the moment. Um, so, uh, but basically, it's a service. Uh, it's an uplift service for uh, people who don't necessarily need a guide. So there is a lot of riding. Uh, there's a lot of uh, infrastructure in lifts, gondolas, and post bus and trains. But as biking is getting more popular, um, post bus gets booked or you're late, you miss it, you miss the train. Um, there's all kinds of you know, inconveniences with this. And I wanted to offer something that you can just give a call and let it be a single run, uh, two transfers during the day or a whole day of different uplifts. Um, just cater for that. Um, so yeah, we got a, got a, a, a van got a cool bike rack, um, got a phone call coming in at Bryson. <laughs> um, and I got all the permit, well, almost got all the permits because uh, it's still Switzerland. You know, you got to do things officially. Uh, and yeah, we'll be offering our, um, uh, our uh, non-guided uplifts in the lower Valais area, um, hopefully from, from next week on. Oh, nice, sweet. And uh, yeah, so lower Valais region. So can you give us the uh, the highlight reel? What are kind of the, the destinations, the, the the trail destinations that people may or may not know yet that they can explore with the trail taxi? Well, um, of course, if you if you talk around Verbe area, um, the the Col de Mille is of course a classic that everybody should do at least once a year. Um, it's such a smashing ride, scenery wise. Uh, perfect balance from a climb mixed with um, pear pie at the Caban de Mille um, and uh, a super long descent. Um, so we do a transfer to that. Uh, in the high season, there is a gondola running. 
Um, but it's only from, I think, mid-July until mid-August, or it's just a very short season. So, um, and yeah, we've done, I've, I've already done three cold meals this year. Um, and and it, you can still ride it in October, basically, until until snow falls. So that's a, a cool a cool thing to do. Um, of course, you got the Col uh, de Grand Saint Bernard, Saint Bernard's Pass. Um, it's a super long transfer from Orsia, Um and you can get out at the hospice, cross into the Italian side, and then you can do two things. You can ask me to pick you up on the Italian side and bring you back to the border, uh, and do like a sneaky run into Italy. Or uh, you can just cruise past the lake uh, and do the uh, Col de Fenêtre, which is uh, another classic. You exit the, um, basically just across the border, there's a 200-meter vertical hiker bike. And then you have a, a super long descent. It lasts you all the entire day um, through uh, basically past La Folie. Uh, and yeah, that, that would just be one, one big uplift um, and uh, yeah, a day of fun. Um, what else? Oh, there's so much to do. Of course, you've got um, the Darpet, the village called Ravoir, just above Martigny. There's the Col de Planche and Col du Lain above Martigny, which that just by itself has got a day's worth riding in. Um, and that's that's just around the Martigny area that I'm speaking of. Then, of course, you can also go towards. Uh, um, towards uh, Sierre and Sion, uh, towards Cromontana. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Ride Magazine has got a bunch of good suggestions. Uh, and, single uh, Trail Map. <laughs> single Trail Map has got a whole bunch. You know, um, and, uh, yeah, if there's something on, on that's not on my radar, I mean, I can, I can provide tips and tricks for, for many of these days. Um, but if there's something that's not on my radar, I'm... I'm impartial. I'll take you up. I don't care. I mean, it's funny that, you know, as you talk through all those different areas and, you know, the, the highlights and all that. So it's kind of because uh, Bryson and I, we went to, um, went on a you know, little training camp to Finale a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, actually now. And because I picked up Bryson in Bern and then we drove to Finale, we actually drove over to Great San Bernard mm-hmm. and then came through those regions. And no joke. We were both staring out the window and and looking out, looking at the mountains. It was like, dang, this looks sick. We might, we have to go right here one day. So, I guess we'll uh, we'll be clearing a calendar and uh, booking the trail taxi. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, more than welcome. I'll uh, I'll provide you with uh, snacks and tips uh, for along the way. And. Uh, yeah, so so basically that that's the the, the game uh, for for the trail taxi. Um, quite excited about it. I think it will will will, will set off. Um, there's a few. I mean, if you look at all the local guides, there's a couple that um, just mainly do all the bike park stuff or lifts like by Verbier lift related. Um, then there's um, I think two or three that offer uh, uplifted days. But that's like a full day of riding uplifts with a guide that sets you back 100 and 120 francs. And yeah, it's, you know, no matter where you turn it, it's, it's a lot of money for a day. I mean, it's value for money because, you know, you don't need to think. You just follow the guy and then you smash out 5,000 meters vertical. Um, but, you know, we're aiming more towards the 65, 70 Swiss franc for a day. 
um, then you get four or five runs in, depending on, you know, if you, if you know the way, then, you know, we keep on going. Um, mm. And that way we want to make, uh, make, make trail riding a bit more accessible as well. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, if you, if you think, uh, yes, you know, obviously we talk about finale a lot, but I mean, there, you know, half of the, the riding or let's say half of the riders that, uh, that ride finale, they, they, they use a shuttle service of some sort and are not pedaling up to NATO base. And I mean, those, you know, you can do, depending on how quick you want to go, you can do three, four five laps a day. They're, you know, they've obviously gone up now a little bit, but I mean, they're still like, what is it? 10, 10, 12 euros, one uplift. Right. So, and then you can, so that gets you roughly to, to what you have in mind. So, I mean, I think that's a, it's a very, uh, very fair and a very value proposition. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, it's, it's great that we're going to drive people to the trails and to have fun, but I think the greater picture that I want with this company is that it needs to be sustainable for the people working there. You know, I want to be able to do my ideal thing for the trail taxi is to have several of them uh, spread out. Uh, people are enjoying what they do, earning a fair wage. That's especially around these areas here. It's it's a tricky one. There's lots of seasonal jobs that are challenging to say the least. Um, and um, I'd like to be a person that that kind of breaks that barrier, you know, and shows people that it is possible to uh, uh, to offer a normal living wage for for people. Um, and um, also when it comes to, I mean, driving people up to the top of the hill on a diesel-powered van is not the most ecological way to, 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 to be around in, in, uh, in, in the, uh, as a company. Um, but we do have an application running right now for 1% for the planet. So um, we really want to make sure that at least 1% uh, of our turnover, not our profit, our turnover gets back into um, reputable charities. Um, and I've spent quite some time looking into um, carbon offsetting uh, of the emissions. You know, it's, it's kind of like you know, still eating the cookies and cake while you're on a diet and paying some money into a fund. It, it's, it's, it's not what, what the ultimate, um, but it's better than nothing. Um, so if any of your readers actually have a good tip on a reputable carbon offsetting program in Switzerland, um, either be a tree planting or something like that. Uh, just hit me up in the DM. Um, yeah, uh, and another side of the things that I've been trying to get rolling as well is um, in the Netherlands, I know of a, uh, a company that makes um, renewable diesel. So they take um, uh, recycled diesel oils or oils, um, vegetable oils, and uh, basically from McDonald's and, and uh, big, big restaurants, uh, mix it in with 10% of um, biofuels uh, and then basically create a, a biofuel with, with a lot less carbon impact um, than uh, the regular fossil fuels. Now, the trick with this is that uh, it is not available in Switzerland. And you um, you think that life can be complicated when you, when you start looking into importing fuels into Switzerland. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> At some point I was like, oh, just get a, get a truck, find a border, 
wait till 4 a.m. and just like smash it past and just get the thing sorted, you know, but that's, that's not the way to go. Um, I've been speaking to representatives of the company and they think within the next two years it will be available in Switzerland. Because um, the cool thing is it's also better for your engine. Um, and when you burn it, uh, you know, when you burn regular diesel, it has this black suit coming out of it. Uh, and this doesn't have this at all. So um, that's another project that I'd like to, you know, integrate with with the trail taxi. But uh, rules and regulations are uh, kind of keeping me away from that one at the moment. All right. Well, I mean, it sounds like you you have a, you have a plan and a roadmap for for the project to work. So stoked to be sharing this, um, Bryson. I think it's very admirable that you're taking an ecological stance on the company that you want to. Uh, design and build and um for sure your your greater picture is uh where where it feels good to be and i think yeah taking the first steps are definitely going to lead you to that so yeah kudos to you on that we'll see where it ends yeah we'll do a follow-up uh, in two years from now and see uh see if this boat sailed or failed <laughs> <laughs> well fail fast as they say these days <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right. Well, then maybe, you know, to start wrapping up a little bit, uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, your work with the bike mag, we worked with the, about, talked about the trail taxi, but we still haven't quite figured out why you're in Switzerland at all. So how, how did you get here? Uh, well, this is a, oh, I, I told you when I growing up in the Netherlands, uh, I was into bikes all my life. Um, when I was in my teenage years, uh, you know, there's a couple of escapes that you can that you can explore. Um, one is booze and and partying, but I chose the spend the solitary time in the in the forest riding your bike uh, route. Um, and yeah, you know, after doing that for a whole bunch of years, I kind of realized that uh, I don't want to live in Holland. It's it's a great place. You got great atmosphere, good restaurants, terraces. Uh, you can cycle commute anywhere. Even in summer, the weather is actually quite good. And the rest of the year is crap. But so um, I was already quite quite set on not living in Holland um, for the rest of my life. How I ended up uh, in Switzerland is is quite a funny one. Actually, I, I, I took a big detour. Um, in my early twenties, I did two or three seasons of mountain bike guiding actually just across from here, uh, right next to seal. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was showing people around in the region. I was like, Oh, it's pretty good. And that kind of inspired me to move to Austria and move to, uh, the Geneva side of, um, uh, of, of Switzerland. Um, and, uh, yeah, at a, at a certain point, um, Austria was great, but it was very rural. You know, uh, there was everybody moved away to the bigger cities, and I loved it there because there was a great bike riding, big lake. I was in Klagenfurt, right next to the uh, Wörthersee. Uh, then I got a job offer from from Kona Bikes. Uh, I knew Russ, uh, who was then the marketing guy from Kona, and they're like, "Oh, we need a, a multilingual." guy to speak uh, all the languages and the, and the service department so after being around that area for a while i of course visited the valet again um, visited annecy chamonix um, 
And at some point, um, me and Kona parted ways. And I was like, right, I don't need to be around Geneva anymore. Where do I go? Um, I started looking for places to live in all corners that I liked, but I found an apartment first in Chamonix in France. So fate brought me to, to Chamonix. Um, place. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I think from all the mountain towns, um, for the atmosphere, it's fantastic. It's a year round town. You know, there's something, Verbier here is great. Um, uh, but if you go in what we call interseason, like early spring or uh, or like late spring, and then uh, in autumn, half the restaurants are closed. It's like a ghost town. You know, there's nothing going on, which is also kind of good because I'm, you know, I don't like crowds too much. But um, but even but up in in, in Chamonix, um, it is like a year-round destination. Um, there is always a bit of life going on. Um, and then, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, a good five, six years of living there. And uh, uh, at the time, while I was living there, I got asked to do the marketing job for Cube, which was then UK slash Netherlands based. But I, I was clinging on for dear life to, to the mountain life. So I kept my apartment. And um, I basically, yeah, whenever I could work from home, I would be in, in the Alps and working from home. And then, you know, slam slam the laptop at five and go for a lap on Merlet or uh, around Les Ouches. Um, and, um, yeah, for Cube, I was mainly doing all the events, um, trade shows, staff training, dealer dealer trainings. Uh, and with COVID happening, of course, that, that pulled the plug on all the events. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was like, okay, well, we're not doing this. Uh, and... Uh, because it was so uncertain what was going on, they didn't, you know, I, I kept working with them for a while, but after that, I was like, well, we, we kind of need you to be in the office in Holland. And I was like, no, no, I'm sorry. That, that's not going to happen. You know, it's, I, I, can, I can do a part-time mountain and part-time like life in, in, in the flat countries. Um, but not full-time. So I said, well, sorry, we part ways. Um, and actually, before that, me and my wife were, were looking on visiting Canada um, with possible intent of maybe staying. Um, Canada, of course, being completely locked and blocked and impossible to get into. We just sat around the table and, and we cracked open a drink and they're like, right, well, uh, time for shaping plan B. What is that? Um, what looks like Canada, feels like Canada, is central within Europe. And I was like, I'm stupid. I was there like 20 years ago. <laughs> the Swiss Valet, you know, it's got, um, it's, it's, it's only one hour from where we used to live. So all of, all of our friends and, and, and people that we know uh, in the area are, are still quite reachable. You know, and social life is a bit important as well as this. Um, and... When you start looking into the Valais, you know, it's got so many sunny days. Um, it's got 4,000-meter peaks. So if you want to do some mountaineering, snowboarding, uh, any type of summer, winter adventuring, uh, there's plenty of choice. I call, I call it Swissneyland, actually. It's like, like Disneyland and Swissneyland. Mm -hmm. um, 
Love that. But, <laughs> yeah, but also, um, but also from from um, from uh, a, a winter riding perspective. Uh, say you are here and you want to go ride. Now, Verbier itself is a thousand five hundred meters, and you know there's quite a bunch of snow. But around Martigny, that's only four hundred. And the Rhone Valley over there is a distinct east-west valley, which means the mountainside is super south-facing, which basically enables you to do all the lower trails all along the line of, well, from Martigny towards uh, Sion. So even in winter, there's plenty of bike riding. And if it's really, really terrible and you really want to go out on your bike, uh, what is it, four hours, three and a half, you're in finale? So, Absolutely. yeah, it's it's so many options, and and like I said, the the riding here is is unreal. You know, there's I've been coming here for so many years, and and there's still so many lines on the map that that need to be explored and ridden. So many um, so many trails to hike down that looked great but aren't. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I'm sure there's plenty of those. At least once a year. At least once a year. I, I had one last year, and it it looks so fantastic. I was like, oh man, and um, I I knew the trail that that forked off to the right, and we went into the left, and I was like, right, this is going to be great. It's going to be shit. Don't blame me. I warned you <laughs> to the guy who was with me. <laughs> and um, the first section was absolutely smashing. It was super flowy, and then at some point it got really narrow. And on the left hand, there was massive exposure, like, you know, a thousand meter, like 800, it's like really big. <laughs> we just ride past it going, like, okay, so this is why, you know, this was not, no, this is, uh, that's why the why side. This is not there. on the single trail map. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and as we progressed, of course, it got blockier and blockier up until a point where it was just like five, 600 meters of vertical of, reverse mountaineering holding your bike and ropes chains and then riding 20 meters going like oh yeah yeah oh crap no no, no. <laughs> um, but i kind of i kind of like that that's for me that's also a little bit of the magic of biking um not just you know ripping lines in a in a bike park and just doing laps 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 but the exploration side you know because i know especially you know, when i'm there i'm like First, you got this situation. It's like, ah, oh, is this is this going to be the next new best trail ever, or or not? And then also, when you're finding out that that it's actually not, it's pretty unique because you know you're never ever ever going to go back to that place on the earth again in your life. You know, you, you're there now, and you will never return. Um, so that kind of gives me a bit more of an enjoyment of that. You know, just really taking the views because you're not coming back here. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's a good. Good uh, positive uh, mindset to to tackle trail exploration. <laughs> well, if you got six hundred meters of vertical to hike down with the bike on one hand and a cliff on the other, you gotta you gotta cheer yourself up a bit. Exactly, <laughs> you gotta have a glass half full kind of uh, mindset <laughs> rather than the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you're with another person that uh, not necessarily is into that. You know, if if you if you start being a thundercloud, then uh, yeah, it's oh, gonna yeah. be Char Charlie Brown vibes. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah basically that that's the story of of switzerland how i got here and uh um yeah i haven't regretted it since 
you know, it's it's a fantastic place to be. Um, really, uh, really having a having a great time. Well, sounds like it. Um, of course, you've uh, written, you know, a whole bunch of exotic destinations. You live in a fantastic uh, location to be riding all year. You have your business that looks to share this uh, fantastic riding with a lot of people. But, uh, you know, through all your work and your travel and, uh, and all the experiences that you've had over the years, are there any blank spots left that you really still want to explore? Of course, the list is long. Um, well, I, I haven't really ridden the Pyrenees properly uh, or Ainsa in, in that corner. Um, I've been following Doug from Basque MTB for many, many years now, um, and his pictures are, are always very impressive. Um, but I'd also like to venture out a little bit more, even more to the crazy unknown, like places like Georgia or Macedonia or when Nepal, of course, is, uh, is high on the list. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the list is endless. Um, I've seen some, some, uh, some people writing stuff in Turkey, which is absolutely unbelievable. And Kilian Braun is also like a guy to follow if you're into crazy destinations. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, no, the, the list is still there. And, and the worst thing is every time you go to a good place, it, it adds to the, the, to-do list of the, that year, you know? So, um, yeah, right now I've just visited Madeira. Um, that was a fantastic experience and I'm already like, well, how am I going to make sure that I can get back there at least next year? But yeah. So, uh, yeah, the list is long. All right. Well, uh, we start, uh, getting towards of our time tonight. So, uh, you know, we don't want to overextend our stay in the, in the Valle region virtually, uh, at this stage. So we want to wrap it up with our now infamous closeout questions. So, um, our first one that we ask, uh, all most, most, if not all of our guests is always, um, you know, can, can you tell us a little bit more about that first bike that really got you stoked on riding? Well, I think the, the very first bike that got me really excited was a, I think it was a Rally BMX. I'm not sure if it was a Rally or not, but it was a, it was a BMX bike and it had red tires and it had a chrome frame and, you know, those handlebar protectors and top tube protectors were all red and shiny. Um, and it had like a handbrake instead of a back pedal brake. So it had like a proper free hub where we got... So um, I, I remember I, I got that for my birthday, I think, when I was four or five. I think it was four. And, yeah, you know, that, that was me um, riding around the neighborhood, pulling skids and, and, and trying to jump stuff and getting in trouble. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's the one that really got me hooked on, uh, on anything two-wheeled, really. Nice. Okay, I guess we can we can uh, you know, can we feel that one. I think you know BMX is something that comes back time and time again. Um, our second one: Imagine you're Harry Skidini and you are a bike magician extraordinaire. You can make riding a bike more awesome for anyone by the stroke of a magic dropper post. What would you do? I think if with the stroke of a magic dropper post would be an option, uh, I would give everybody uh, perfect form and perfect core muscles on the bike. 
I think if you have a good body position and enough muscle to kind of hold your posture, then riding will automatically become a lot more fun. Um, of course, mindset, you know, make everybody super positive all the time is a bit of a lame answer in this question. So I'm, I'm going to go for a perfect form, perfect posture and, uh, and the muscles to back it up. Yeah, core stability is a huge benefit. So question three, um, you probably were unaware, but you, you definitely had it in you back then, riding your BMX around, skidding around some corners. But if you were to say, uh, if you were to think back as, as yourself back then, and uh, you were to pull off that perfect skid, what would it look like? Well, I think with a good, amazing skid, it's all about distance. So really just put that weight all on your on the front on your handlebars and just go the distance. You know, just keep on going, keep on sliding. And you know, if you're doing it for yourself, just have a smile on your face. But if there is a crowd, just give them like a little side look, you know, just glance at them like, yeah, this is me pulling a long skid. And then not eat, not eating shit at the end. That would be best. <laughs> I think that would be the most amazing skid ever. <laughs> Very good. Very good. We can, uh, we, we approve of that one. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Jarno, thank you very much for your time. This was really interesting, really cool. Um, if our listeners have questions, they want to learn more about the IMB, they want to learn more about the trail taxi, where can they find you? I think uh, the best way on uh, to reach me uh, would be, I think it's go for the trail taxi. Uh, Instagram uh, at trailtaxi.ch and that should get you there. I think there's only one trail taxi. Uh, that should be easy to find. And um, regarding IMB, I think the best way is just to subscribe. Subscribe to the magazine. You will get uh, updates every uh, every uh, two months. And uh, yeah, you can you can find the contact details there. So uh, that will be it. All right, sweet. We'll put those up in the in the show notes so people can find it there as well. Cool. Jarno, again, thank you very much. Bryson, thank you. Great time, as always. Great to have you on, Jarno. And with that, we close it out for the night. Great meeting you guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. As we mentioned at the top of the show, you can find all the links and the relevant info to this episode in the show notes. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, why don't you share it with your riding buddies? It really helps us grow our show and reach more cool people like you. That's great advice, Pascal. I really enjoyed making the episode as well. And I'm really looking forward to all the cool stuff we're going to be doing in 2022. So stay tuned, guys. 